Welcome to the J.D. Power Travel Podcast. I'm Michael Vermillion with J.D. Power, and with me today are Mike Taylor, who leads our travel practice, and Jenny Corwin, who's our lead analyst for travel. So, Mike and Jenny, welcome. Hello. Hello. Hey, Mike, let's let's kick it off with the airlines today. Okay. Uh, story uh, this week on uh, Airbus uh, announcing a longer-range uh, 321. Uh, it's going to have extended uh, range in terms of uh, distance, but also in terms of you know hours, of course. So mm-hmm. they're looking at now seven to eight hours of flight time. Uh, so the mean, so that means that um, the airlines will start be able to start flying 321s between the U.S. and Europe. So um, what is what what is the implication here for the airlines? Uh, but also, what's, what are the implications for the travelers who are uh, traveling back and forth between um, the Europe and the U.S., especially if this means traveling on a narrow body jet? Well, let's start first off with the impact on the airlines. Basically, what this aircraft is is an extension of the the 737 MAX, which is also an extended range aircraft that can be operated by the same crews, which allows the airlines to schedule crews to fly these particular aircraft and makes their scheduling just much more flexible. So it's going to bring in the different markets with um, the same crews, so you don't have to do a lot of retraining on these particular aircraft. And also, the same, a similar story is the retirement of the A380, that big jumbo jet, you know, that was developed from a cargo plane, which I've been on a couple of those flights, a very, very large aircraft. And uh, they've learned uh, over the last five or six years, it's just uneconomical to operate. So they want to be, the airlines want to be a little bit more flexible um, and also be cost effective and they don't have to train new crews and go out and hire new pilots. They can just use the same crews that they've got now. What it means for the passenger is it's going to be a little bit less uh, room in the aircraft, especially if you're used to flying either first class or business class to European or long range destinations, um, because these narrow body jets will not support the wider seats and the little suites that they have unless they're really going to pay a premium for them in the front of the cabin. So that's probably what the, the will be the biggest impact on flyers using these aircraft to go to Europe. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, Jenny, turning to hospitality, uh, news story uh, the past uh, two weeks uh, about Airbnb and the fact that American consumers are now spending more on Airbnb than they did with Hilton in, in the past year. Uh, and it looks like Airbnb now has something like 20% of the U.S. hospitality market, uh, growing something like 30% last year. And uh, I thought another interesting piece of the story was the fact that Traditionally, Airbnb has been um, California, New York, and Florida, something like half of their business. And uh, in the past year, they've seen a lot of growth coming from the middle of the country. So is it is it time for the uh, the big hotel brands to start taking uh, Airbnb seriously? Yes. I mean, well, it's they've always been taking it seriously. I think they've definitely done a good job at, at kind of playing it off for a while, but you can tell hotel, big hotel brands are taking it seriously, uh, especially when you look at what Marriott's done recently, uh, you know, getting into the home sharing space. Hyatt's got a venture, Accord's got a venture. Um, so I, I don't think that hoteliers are dismissing the importance of Airbnb. Uh, in, in terms of experience, choice for guests um, you know, drives a better experience. So if you have guests who are choosing your brand because they want your brand, they're definitely going to be more satisfied. Uh, but Airbnb gives them another choice, right? 
Um, this data was interesting, particularly because it doesn't include business travelers. So I think hotels still feel pretty safe. You're resting on their laurels a bit when it comes to business travelers. They've got those great loyalty programs that really keep, um, you know, their business travelers, their high value customers coming back. Um, but now Airbnb is getting into that space, too. So it's even more of a time to take notice and, and really pay attention and make sure that, um, you know, they're doing everything they can to, to satisfy and keep their guests with them. Okay, thanks, Jenny. Uh, Mike, turning back to a rental car, uh, some news recently around Hertz uh, introducing a subscription service for $9.99 a month. Uh, it looks like $9.99 a month uh, includes the ability to switch uh, what car you're driving a couple times a month. It includes all the maintenance. It includes the insurance. Um, and it, it looks like the investors like this, the news or the story because they're shares actually jumped um, after they made that announcement. So so is this something, I, I think we, we've also seen this at, with Volvo and with Enterprise. Uh, so are we likely to see more of these subscription services? And uh, what, is the, um, uh, what does this mean for the, uh, the consumer? Well, it's the consumer that's driving this. It's really the millennials that have a habit of not owning a car anymore. And the, one of the things that we see in the J.D. Power rental car study is that millennials tend to rent a higher class of vehicle with a lot more options and a higher ticket price because they just don't have a car at home. So if they're going to go on a weekend excursion, they're more likely to rent the you know Ford Mustang convertible uh, than the mid-sized Chevy Malibu or something like that. And so what Hertz is doing here is just basically catering to that future trend. They're forecasting, obviously, that this trend is going to continue to grow and they may be able to get some pricing, um, uh, uh, I guess, uh, strength out of this because it's really hard to have a high price, daily rental price for uh, rental car companies these days based on things that uh, impact the market like Uber and Lyft and the proliferation of small rental car companies um, that are catering to that leisure market. So that's probably why Wall Street likes this is because this will be a different revenue stream for Hertz. That isn't based on a model that's relatively um, uh, soft uh, and has been soft for the last six or seven years. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, turning to airports, uh, recent news story about those USB charging stations that you see at the airport. Uh, this is becoming more popular. You're seeing them at more and more airports now as the airports kind of adoptive, accommodating uh, travelers and the ability to plug in and recharge. But the particular story uh, notes that if you use these USB charging stations, you need to watch out because they're not necessarily safe to use uh, and safe in the sense that uh, apparently cyber criminals can modify these devices to install malware on your phone. Uh, so one person kind of described it as finding a um, kind of a toothbrush on the side of the road and sticking it in your mouth. So. Is, is this a real threat, something that uh, travelers need to pay attention to? And, and what, can, what can the airports do about this? Yeah, I guess it wasn't enough that people were putting fake stickers for the USB ports to, you know, fool people and trying to shove their USB uh, uh, connector uh, to charge their phones into what is basically the, the actual wall. So this is just an adaptation of that scam that we've seen in the previous in previous years about ATM machines being modified to read your card as you stick it in what you think is the ATM machine, punch in your code, and you don't get any money out, but 
you know, all that that your number and that code are recorded and transmitted to thieves who are going to steal your identity and empty out your bank account. So this is the same thing, only applied to airports. And yeah, probably it is something you should really look at. Um, we've seen in our data that uh, USB ports are, are really a source of, of frustration for people based on the human behavior of basically nesting is what it's called. Uh, and you do this, I'm sure I do this all the time too. You've got your suitcase, you've got your laptop bag, uh, you've got your jacket. If it's the wintertime, you sit down in a seat and you put all that stuff down. You get your phone and your charger cord out. You, you know, put, plug in your phone, then plug it in the wall and find out that the USB port is broken. It doesn't work anymore. And now you've got to reverse that whole process. And you're now you're really annoyed because you were expecting to, you know, relax and have your phone charged before you get onto the aircraft. And now you've got to you know, reverse the entire process and go find some other place to nest. So USB ports are a little bit of a point of concern. Um, the biggest problem actually is the actual design of the USB port itself, which is, you know, you have to put it in, in a certain orientation, you know, that little flange um, that orients the, uh, the USB uh, male connector to the female connector. Uh, but the latest version of the USB port, you know, is ambidextrous, I guess, sort of like the uh, charging cords you see on like, for example, my Samsung phone and also like the lightning uh, cords that you see on Apple products. It wouldn't matter what the orientation is. It's that little flange that is people are forcibly char uh, pushing their USB port, uh, USB uh, mail connector into that port and breaking it. And that's what causes most of the problems. And it certainly is a, a real point of contention uh, across airports around the world. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, Jenny, uh, finishing up with the uh, digital uh, story recently about Carnival rolling out these uh, kind of high-tech uh, wearables. They're, they're calling them uh, ocean medallions. And uh, you put it around your wrist, and uh, it does some cool things like will enable you to open the door to your room. Uh, if you order a drink from the bar and your smartphone uh, enables the um, – the waiter to find you, no matter where you are in the ship, to deliver your drink. Uh, if you're trying to keep track of your grandmother or your, your children, it uh, enables you to do that as well. So um, what's your thinking here in terms of uh, these wearable, this wearable technology? And are we likely to see this expand, um, I suppose, for the cruise industry, but even into uh, resorts and then eventually you know, regular hotels? Yeah, so one, I think these things are super cool. Uh, that's, that's my initial thinking on them. But um, I think as personalization is such a huge trend in travel and hospitality, this is a great way to get at it. It does straddle the line between convenience and creepiness. I mean, being able to locate someone wherever they are at any time, it's a little creepy, but everybody has their phones. I guess it's the same thing. Um, I think you know, we've seen something like this at Disney. Um, in terms of the magic bands, and so you can use them to, to to open your room, to order food, things like that, pay for things. So it it creates a great vacation experience when you don't have to think about do I have my wallet, do I have my ID, do I have all of these things. You can walk out of your cruise ship door, walk out of your hotel room, all you're wearing is basically a watch or a band, and that's your room key, that's your credit card, that's your ID. It's everything you need. So it really lets you immerse yourself in the vacation and feel like, you know, you're, you're really unplugging almost. 
Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see this expanding across the cruise industries for sure. I mean, this is a great, great idea for the cruise industry, even from a safety perspective, being able to know where all of your passengers are, whether they're accounted for in case of an emergency, something like that. Um, so, so I think that's very important. But I think we'll see it in resorts, um, particularly at, at some point. Uh, like I said, it's really nice. It helps you feel like you're on vacation. I don't know about in the actual hotel space, like a traditional hotel in a city or, uh, or urban areas. I, I feel like uh, you've already got your app, which does a lot of the things you need to do in a traditional hotel stay. Uh, but in the resort space, in the luxury vacation space, I, I think I think we'll see this uh, probably becoming more pervasive. Yeah. Okay, so Mike and Jenny, thanks for joining us today. You're quite welcome. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners for joining as well. Hey, to learn more about the J.D. Power travel practice, please visit us on the web at jdpower.com business, and we'll see you next time.